live. This is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. Lindsey Patterson, Mike Santagata here to talk a little Bengals mandatory camp. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. I don't know if you're going to skip that question because we're doing this in the morning behind the scenes rather than in the afternoon, evening time. But I actually, I, I like the morning, so I'm fine as long as it's... Okay, question I asked my fiance yesterday, and we agree when it is, but when is the cutoff from late night to morning? Like if you woke up before this, do you still consider it late night of the last day? What? You know, okay, so for me, 5 a.m. That's what like if I wake up at 5 a.m. or later, that's fine. But if I wake up at four, that's too early. That's too early for me. That's like that's like still a late night binge party time. Well, when I used to um speaking of early mornings, I used to work morning TV and we started on the air at 4 30 in the morning. So oh, yeah, that's I, too early. Yeah, I was awake by 1 30 in the morning. And- oh, that's way too early. 1 30 yeah, in the morning. Yeah. That's yep. not the next day to me. Like that is oh, yeah. still. <laughs> also, can I just say this? Look, I know a lot of people have nine to fives or eight to fours, or maybe they're up at seven or six because they have kids. They're getting them ready for school. There's no reason that news should ever be on at 4 a.m. in the morning. It is absolutely pointless. I don't think anybody's watching. And um, so, yeah, that's my rant on those early mornings of being on morning TV and getting ready for that. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what important thing has happened between, I don't know, 9 o'clock and 4.30 in the morning that you need to air a whole new news? Just just air the same thing, you know? Like, what's the difference? I mean, goodness. I Half the time, I don't even know what I was saying at that time in the morning. So <laughs> I definitely don't think that people should be on TV that early in the morning. But end of rant, um, I would say, so 4 a.m. is nothing to me anymore. Um, but I would say, you know, probably 3.30 in the morning is going to be my time. That'd okay. be, that'd be late in the morning. Yeah, that's still, still. Yeah. You know, the day technically shifts at midnight, but I feel like you're hanging out at like 1230. And I, at least for me, I never think like other than just the technically, but I, I never feel like, oh, yeah, it's Tuesday now. Well, I'm not doing that on a Monday, <laughs> but yeah. uh, oh, it's Saturday now. It's like to me, it's still, it's still Friday. Nick says good answer. Whenever bars close plus 30 minutes in Utah, that must shift pretty early. Yeah, I, I agree there. So everything when it comes to bars in Cincinnati, they close at 2.30, some of them 2 a.m. And then I think COVID really is a huge factor in a lot of locations where they close a little bit earlier than they normally do. But I know some cities where the bars don't close or it's like four or five in the morning, maybe mm-hmm. New York City or, or some of the bigger cities. But here it's 2.30 is pretty late. Yeah, uh, I remember I was in New York City and it was like 1 a.m. and we couldn't find the bar to go to. It was like the city that never sleeps, huh? <laughs> Went back to my hotel. What? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Very Downtown much. Manhattan, everything was closed. Well, well, um, you know, speaking of vacation, speaking of trips and everything like that, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to go into their offseason, even though it feels like there was really no offseason technically, because you get the offseason programs, you get the workouts, you get the OTAs. They have mandatory mini camp. Uh, that's all wrapped up right now. Do you have anything from the, two, I would say technically two and a half days of mandatory mini camp that sticks out for you? I think Cheetos Health does out of basically everything. That was the one that surprised me the most. Um, I'm not taking pretty much anything from a lot of how the players performed or how, you know, ooh, is this a new wrinkle in the offense? Like, I, I think you could, you know, you could 
theorize about that based off what you're seeing. But to me, the main thing I can take away is health. Jonah mm-hmm. showing up. We talked a lot about that. So you can listen to the last episode for that. Um, but those two things, I think, were the biggest for me. I don't think I take pretty much anything away from these guys got reps with the ones because it also they were getting reps with the twos or it was due to injury like Carmen. So for me, it was just seeing Cheeto's health, seeing Jonah come back and he's almost healthy, seeing Lyle Collins actually out there. And uh, he had what that one video that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's a little bit closer than we think he might be. Uh, that's everything I take away from it. I don't know about you though. I, I, I feel like I'm in the minority when I talk about how like, yeah, I don't really care about a lot of this stuff that's coming through. I would say, honestly, it's kind of crazy because I thought I would have that same mindset going into mandatory minicamp where I'd be like, okay, I'm over the storylines. Everybody's (laughs) in their best shape of their life, which we haven't even hit that storyline. That's the first week of training camp. That's when you really hear the best shape of their lives. Um, But I would say personally, Mandatory minicamp hit a little different for me versus the other ones. You know, I've heard other people say nothing really to say here. Nothing really changed for the Cincinnati Bengals going into mandatory camp. You bring up a really good point with Cheeto. Um, Obviously, this is something even Zach Taylor spoke on it yesterday when you talked to the media. You're not going to rush him back out there. And I think the Bengals, I would say, have that luxury. Obviously, we don't know what their secondary is going to look like with, with Turner out there. If he does have to start some games, um, you get Sidney Jones um, as more of a depth piece. And then Cam Taylor Britt going to be um, CB1 if Cheeto isn't ready come September. Obviously, I think July is going to be a big clearance and, and early August clearance month for, for Cheeto. And guys like Lael Collins, who I still don't think is going to be ready to start the season. Um, and then the same thing for Jonah Williams. He's been working really hard, according to Frank Pollock. And we heard from him today. But that is really going to be telling for a lot of these guys who I don't think I think it would be smart to just allow that player to take their time, even though Cheeto is impressive in the video. I can't believe what he's able to do. And athletes are just different. They're absolutely different uh, beasts out there. And I think that's going to be really telling if he's ready in September. Awesome. That is great news for for the team in the second day on the defensive side of the ball. Um, obviously, we, we've talked plenty of Jonah Williams. And I will be completely honest with you. I went back and listened to some of the um, interviews from Jonah Williams, and I was really impressed with everything that he had to say. Obviously, you see the tweets and the quotes and uh, what Jonah Williams felt like when it comes to, um, you know, Orlando Brown signing with the Bengals. And I just really gather like this guy's ready to get to work. And and one of the clips that Dan Horde posted actually today was an audio clip from Jonah Williams. He had stated that, um, look, it's just going to be a little different because I'm so used to left tackle. But he even mentioned that he's planning on getting back into town earlier than when training camp starts uh, because he wants to work on that stuff. And, and I just think that's so that's awesome. And he just sounds like such a hard worker. Even Frank Pollock talked about his work ethic and what we're going to see from him. Um, those storylines are going to be something to watch out for. But I will say this, and I'm starting to hear a little more of the hype, and the biggest thing is if this guy can stay healthy. It's the Irv Smith. I'm kind of excited about that connection with Joe Burrow because we've talked about so many other playmakers, the Jamar Chases, the T. Higgins highlights, Tyler Boyd. Irv Smith is going to be someone – Irv Smith Jr. is going to be someone where if he if he can – you know, stay healthy. He's going to get that tight end money at the end of the season because Joe Burrow gets tight ends paid. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm really excited to see what that's going to look like when the season starts. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's the most athletic to me. And I, sorry, but uh, there's just something that goes in my mind every time I talk about him being athletic is that somebody, 
don't know if it was just one person or multiple people, but it, <laughs> it annoyed me that they posted his RAS score. It's like, this guy's like a five-year pro. Why are we still doing this? He's not no. in college anymore. And uh, so, yeah, like, yeah, technically, see, technically Drew Sample has a better RAS score than Irv Smith. So, <laughs> but um, what? <laughs> Drew Sample's got like a nine. Uh, this is the biggest factor for me saying like RAS score doesn't really matter that much is how you play on the field. <laughs> Drew Sample has like a 90th percentile athlete. He's like, well, he doesn't look like it. Um, but anyway, Irv Smith, I think he's the most athletic tight end Joe Burrow's ever played with. He will be the shortest, I think, because he's like six foot two. And I haven't really thought too much about that. Like T Higgins is taller. He's probably about the same height as what Tyler Boyd. He's taller than Jamar Chase. So that's interesting because Burrow does at times like to kind of put the ball away from the corner, put it, you know, into a boxed out position for Irv. And that's not really Irv's game because he's not super long. He's not super tall. He doesn't do an awesome job on contested catches. I think that's the most interesting thing we can look at for week one, week two, week three is are they still throwing these, you know, box out balls, I'll call them but just throwing balls away from the defender and to Irv where he should be able to make the catch or do they not try those? And they're using the tight end a little bit different, maybe a little bit more down the field. I'm not sure. So that's interesting for me, but yeah, Irv, Irv is super interesting because he's just way different than the tight ends they've had. Hayden Hurst, there's some similarities. If you look at a very thousand foot view of, yeah, they're good pass catchers and not great run blockers. And then you get a little more granular. You're like, well, Irv's not great, you know, blocking defensive ends, but he can block linebackers, safeties, and corners really well. Do you use that? Or are you just going to ask him to do everything, which they kind of asked Hurst to do, and he struggled a little bit with that. And then on the passing game, Hurst was a great contested catch guy, but he, for whatever reason, wasn't really a stretch the field. He wasn't really a work down the field type. So will Irv add a dimension there? I also think Irv might be slightly better in terms of yards after catch. Hurst can drop his shoulder and have a very exciting, make everybody caveman yell as he picks up two additional yards through three defenders. But Irv can move a little bit better and he can make a guy miss and go for 10, 15 additional yards. It's not, he's not trying to think of a great yak tight end like george george kittle kind of you know he's, he's got that he's not george kittle in, in that well he's not george kittle in a lot of ways but he's definitely not george kittle in run blocking he's not george kittle with his yards after catch so it's it's not something that i think i would try to game plan in but he catches a 10 yard out route he make a guy miss and go for 20 yards um meanwhile i think hurst would catch that 10 yard out route drop his shoulder which is good and run through the guy and try to get 12, 13, 14 yards. I think those are all the interesting things with Irv Smith. He's a very unique tight end. Like I thought that Hurst had some similarities to Uzama and that made sense a little bit like a more athletic Uzama. Um, but Irv is more athletic than both, but he's also a smaller body type. So that's what I'm interested for. I, I'm interested to see how they use him. I'm pretty excited about how he's going to play in the offense. I think the safe bet is you get similar production to what Hurst got you, but it comes in different ways. Yeah, we'll we'll see what works when it comes to Herb Smith Jr. And yeah, I think a lot of people forget you put him in the tight end category, but body type kind of like a wide receiver um, with just how he's built. So we'll see what that looks like. But for him alone, I mean, he's still a young guy, and I hope that he can prove to a lot of people like, look, 
I have all the potential in the world and and maybe having Joe Burrow uh, will be will be different for him and, and what that looks like for him in this offense going into 2023. But overall, um, the DJ Reader stuff, um, I know we really don't have too much of an update, but it seems like the team is just being cautious right now. Um, do you think there's any concerns with that right now when it comes to, to the I want to say it's a foot issue, the toe? Uh, none whatsoever to the point that I forgot it was a thing. Uh, Great. I'm, just, I'm not worried. <laughs> I, I would I, say I'm I know, like, like what, what, if it ever comes to the point where like he's questionable for week one, that's where the actual worry starts. Like, even if he misses all of preseason, I just go, well, yeah, Zach's, you know, he's very uh, concerned about letting these guys play in the preseason. Yeah, I would say with DJ Reader, Logan Wilson had a um, celebrity charity a uh, softball game the other night, which was really cool because a lot of players showed up for it. Even Gio Bernard was in town and then Zach Taylor was there too. So I thought that was really cool. Uh, DJ reader was there and he was, I want to say he hit, he hit a couple baseballs and or softballs because it was a softball tournament and everything looked okay for DJ reader. And if he's out there participating in that, um, I do feel okay. And again, I think it's, it's smart to be cautious. Uh, the biggest thing going into this year, when you have all the talent and depth in the world is to stay healthy. So take it easy till you get to training camp. Yeah. Um, he was a baseball player, so I assume he could probably do that on one foot, hit the ball pretty far. Yeah. It's, I, was he a pitcher, though? Oh, man, I, I should look this up sometime. I don't know. He's, like, big for a pitcher, but for some reason I feel like he might have been. You know what? I bet Clemson has the answer for me. Baseball. I think he All was, right. though. I think he was a pitcher. Right-handed pitcher, yeah. That is so wild to me to see. I would be intimidated. It's extremely. Can... <laughs> the MLB should have just drafted him. He's probably not going to go there, but they should have just draft him. Like, let's just put him on the mound, you know, like the first couple innings. <laughs> yeah. I mean, DJ Reader on the mound throwing you the ball. Nope. Nope. I mean, even um, Titans, I'm, I'm losing my my train of thought. They're running back. Derek Henry. Henry. Derek Henry. Couldn't think of Derek Henry's name. I'm sure Derrick Henry has nightmares about DJ Reader, and we know <laughs> Derrick Henry how big he is. Uh, so yeah, I don't think I would like that. I don't think I, I would be pretty intimidated if I. Saw that'd be the DJ. coolest. Two things. One is that'd be the coolest closer to come. <laughs> Three hundred fifty pounds, six foot, six foot four uh, closer. But also, could you imagine? You know, when the all the bullpen comes running out for fights, if one of those guys was DJ Reader coming out for the fight. I mean, I think it would break up pretty quick. Like, okay, okay, let's let's stop this before that guy gets here. Yeah, no thanks, no thanks. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, the team's just being cautious with a lot of their guys. We'll get more updates when they get into training camp. The Bengals did announce camp will start Wednesday, July 26th. That first day is normally physicals. Players are getting into town. A lot of them sound like they're getting there a little bit early, and, and some aren't even leaving the city of Cincinnati to just get more off-season work in before all the fun and games of training camp. We will uh, get to our double mailbag next on Twitter. Thanks for following along. Bengals underscore Sands. You can follow me at LNDS Patterson next on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. This, this is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata.
We are back on as always game day in Cincinnati, double mailbag day. We are recording this on a Friday morning normally. We are recording on Thursday evenings when we're doing this. So thank you for listening to today's podcast. As I mentioned before, you can follow on Twitter, Bengals underscore Sands at LNDS Patterson. Let's go ahead and get to the questions. And I will tell you right now, we get a lot of questions when it comes to the offensive line. And we probably talked about them previously. And we probably talked about them two months ago, maybe even on Tuesday's podcast, but they still keep coming. So I'm going to keep bringing them up. Colonel Hude says, assuming Jonah wins the right tackle job, is he also the primary backup at left tackle? Brown went down. Oh, I don't even want to talk about that. Do you think they'd move him back or limit the disruption and go to Jackson Carmen? Oh, I mean, that's a good one. I haven't thought of that. In my mind, I think you flip Jonah over and let Lyle play right tackle if he's healthy. If it's before Lyle is healthy, though, I think that would be the thing. You just leave Jonah and you move Carmen over to left tackle. So that'll depend when he would get hurt. If it's like the first play of week one, you're probably leaving him and moving call or moving Carmen over there. But if it's like week seven, uh, then I would flip Jonah. At least I would. I'd flip Jonah over and... Um, let Collins come in at right tackle because they should, both those guys should have chemistry still Collins played with Kappa last year. So that should still work out. And Jonah played with Volson last year. This would just be the offensive line from last year. If Orlando Brown goes down. So that's what I would do. Um, I, I don't think there's any scenario where I would flip Jonah. It could happen, but it's a low chance of happening. It's not something I would do. Flip Jonah to left tackle, let Karma come and play right tackle. And that would specifically be you think left tackle is much more valuable than right tackle. So you're going to flip those guys just so you have the blind side protector and then let Carmen play there. To me, it's more important that Carmen doesn't try to flip to right tackle. Uh, He played for the first time in his career at an okay level and it was at left tackle. So if he's going to play anywhere, it's at left tackle, provided he loses the training camp battle to Jonah Williams. If he wins the training camp battle, that means he must be a pretty good right tackle. So (laughs) you uh, let him play. Yeah, we'll continue with the offensive line questions. Kyle says, if all three are healthy and playing at their highest level possible, who starts at right tackle? And what is the likelihood that we see this offense put up points relative to the 2007 Patriots team? (laughs) I'm not going to comment on the 2007 Patriots part of this. (laughs) That that (laughs) offense was stupid. Um, But yeah, I mean, if you're talking fully healthy, and they're playing up to their potential. There's a small chance. I mean, that Collins could get back to being a top five right tackle, and that would be the best one. Do I think Collins can get there? I think that's dicey. I I, I think it's a very small chance that Collins by week one is fully healthy, even by week eight or something. Just he looked a little broken last year, and it kind of sucks to see. I don't think he was bad necessarily but i think it's just he couldn't hold up a lot of times and he would get to the right spot he would block his guy but then just his back would kind of give out it looked like and he would fall down or dive at the guy rather than be able to sustain that block sustaining blocks was a huge issue for him last year so i think if they are fully healthy they are playing the max potential it's collins if Collins is playing as good as he did last year and Jonah's playing up to how he did two years ago at right tackle, it's Jonah. And if you're talking about this scenario, I don't, we haven't seen Carmen play at that level. 
So that that would be a whole hypothesis about how good could Carmen be? Well, we haven't seen it, so I can't really comment too much on it. I'm going to continue with offensive line questions. Christopher Ball says, what is the percentage likelihood that Jonah Williams starts at right tackle week one? I mean, my percentage, I think he wins the job week one. Oh, man. 75? Like, I'm giving Carmen a shot. I'm not saying it's impossible for Carmen to steal that job. There's a lot of uncertainty with both guys moving to right tackle, but I think I feel more comfortable with Jonah moving there than I do Carmen just because he's played there. At least he played there in college. And I think Jonah's the better player. So that would be everything I think on that matter. The reason Carmen could win is a, you want a guy on a rookie contract to maybe win that right tackle job. So there is a chance that'd be a front office thought though. I don't think the coaching staff cares about that. They might care like, well, these this guy's probably here next year, but I even think they just want to win. So the coaching staff, uh, I've got like a 75% chance it's Jonah. I don't know. What, what do you feel? I'm a little higher. I would say... 80. I was being a little conservative. I, my mind said 80, 85, but I was like, let's put it 75. It just... You know what? I'm going to go 85%. Um, All right. I, I'm... I'm probably it's probably a little higher than that but uh to be completely honest with you um I I truly do think Jonah Williams is going to put in the work when when they get to training camp and then what he's able to do until he gets official clearance um but everything looks really optimistic for his offseason and how things are going but yeah I personally I think he's he's going to be the right tackle the thing is we it, it it does take patience. Goodness, we've talked to Duke Manyweather before, who's one of the expert offensive line guys who I really enjoy having on. We'll try to get him on before the season starts. And it, it's hard to make that transition from right to left or from left to right. And that's what Jonah Williams is going to do. And it's been a minute since he's he's been at right tackle. So I hate to say the word patience because I know how a lot of Bengals fans feel about Jonah Williams. And I don't think you can put patience and Jonah Williams in the same sentence right now. Cause I think a lot of people are like, move on, make a Jackson carbon, give Lyle Collins the job. Um, I, I've, I want it to work out. If Jonah Williams is performing at a high level, this team is doing well. And I want that for Joe Burrow's protection and this offensive line as a whole in the offense. Um, so I think that I think he's going to be okay. I think it's going to be fine. I, I would put in the average category, and if he can be average, that will suffice for the season and stay healthy. So I'm at 85%, uh, but we'll go ahead and go to Eric because he says if Jonah wins the right tackle job, is there any way we keep Elsie? Yes. Um, I think that would be, one, the injury settlement. I don't think they want to pay it. Mm -hmm. They would rather keep him on the roster let him get healthy, everything like that. If he is healthy enough and he just loses that week one battle, I still feel like they might keep him because it's as we've talked a lot about, what are you spending the money on at this point? Really? Like what, what is out there that you need to shed $8 million and mm -hmm. save that money? Because in theory, this makes a lot of sense. You, you cut LC because he's not starting. Why do you want $8 million on your bench? Or however much he costs. I think it's eight. But why do you let, want that on your bench? I fully understand that. It's the same thing when we talk about Joe Mixon. Same thing we talk about Jonah Williams. Like These are big contracts that these guys, people are thinking these guys won't perform up to the level of those contracts. And one of Jonah or Lyle will not perform up to the level of the contract just because they'll be a backup. Um, so then it becomes like, 
cut him, trade him, and then we get the money. It's like, okay, but what are we using the money on? Because if, if the Bengals wanted Dalton Risner, they would they would get him. If they wanted Ezekiel Elliott, they would go get him because they have cap space now. Um, I've always thought these moves, like a Joe Mixon pay cut, could happen in conjunction with a move, but they're not going to do it just to do it. And that's where I've stood on a lot of these contract things is just it's going to be mismanagement of cap and you have to understand that. But there's no there's more value in having Lyle Collins than there is in not having him. So you have to find something that offsets that value, like even Lyle Collins as your backup. I mean, doesn't it sound pretty cool to have him come in as the sixth offensive lineman that Hakeem Adenogy was last year? You know, instead of Adenogy, it's Collins coming in as your sixth guy. That sounds pretty sick to me. I mean, that's a lot of movement. So uh, that that's everything I think on that front. I think you've been a little bit more proactive with the possibility that they try to save a little bit of money, though. So what are your thoughts? I honestly think um, they keep Lyle Collins. I think the biggest thing right now is there's a couple of reasons We've talked about it so many times on this podcast, but the AFC Championship game alone, um, injuries can happen on your offensive mm-hmm. line. And imagine having Lyle Collins as an option if you needed to go to Lyle Collins. And the Who thing can play about, guard too? Yeah, and the thing <laughs> about last year is you he he kind of he was playing injured the majority of the season, mm-hmm. and then he gets the injury on Christmas Eve. And I just feel like it, giving Lyle Collins time to just get ready for the season, get ready. Maybe he wouldn't, hopefully you don't even need him in September, October because your offensive line is healthy, but having that option as a healthy Lyle Collins who can get back in shape and feel really good from his injury and get cleared. And you have that option. If you need to go to it, I think would be wonderful. And this team was an offensive line piece away from a Lombardi in 2021. And you can say last year, making another trip back to the Super Bowl. So that's huge. And I think in, in their mindset, and, and obviously they're probably having a conversation with Joe Burrow. And he's like, oh, look, I probably should keep this guy. Probably should keep this guy as, a, as an option because, yeah, as an added bodyguard. So I, I honestly think I agree with you. What's the $8 million? You know, you have it in the books. You Even when they, they signed Orlando Brown, they're doing the math. They know where they stand with everything, um, even with the Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, maybe Logan Wilson contract extensions um, happening in the future. I think it's really important, honestly. And and if you were to ask me that early on in the offseason, I'd say, oh, you probably should move on, save some money. Uh, Jonah Williams is going to be there. But now I'm uh, I'm kind of leaning towards I think the best option for the team overall is to have that insurance plan with Lyle Collins and you're not rushing him back. So, yeah. I actually think that he's going to be on the roster and I think that's a really, really, really smart move. Yeah. Um, the one, one more thing on that is just the Bengals finally get high quality depth at offensive line. And it feels like people want to get rid of it. It's like, well, that's a lot of money. It's like, well, yeah, getting starting level offensive linemen costs a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does. It does. But is it, it, is it worth it to when you have a roster that has the most depth? I think depth has been a conversation this week with the team. Even Zach Taylor mentioned it yesterday, feeling like this is the most depth they've had on this team since he's been in Cincinnati. So it would be for Joe Burrow's career, too. You could look at the offensive side, the defensive side. Um, and I just I think that's important, especially when you've just been so close to it all um, in back to back years and you're 
returning the majority of these people going into 2023 that that's extremely important and really lyle collins just seems to be behind the scenes with the social media videos with the team um you can see them in the locker room joking with orlando brown when they're all going to batting practice at the you know the cincinnati reds batting practice they're all together and it just feels like yeah that chemistry connection is extremely important for an offensive line and a team as a whole so I say keep Lyle Collins on the roster, and it's just a really good option. I'm not joking when I say we have more offensive line questions. Then we'll move on to another topic, but we'll finish out this first mailbag with another one. Bill says, does the addition of Orlando Brown take this offense to the fast lane? And they average around 30 points a game. I have to look up how many teams averaged 30 points a game last year. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think it gets better. I think, obviously – you know, when every time you add a guy like that to your offense, you know, you, you add a people mover, um, a better pass protector, just a, an overall upgrade at left tackle. And then your right tackle gets upgraded by means of, well, now you've got what was a better offensive lineman flipped over. And if he can continue that play on the right side, then he'll be even better over there. Here's the issue with the whole 30 point per game thing. Nobody scored 30 points a game last year. Zero teams. The Chiefs led the league at 29.2. So I know 30 is just kind of like an arbitrary benchmark because it's an even 30 rather, you know, you think of an even 10s or an even 5s. But can they average 28 points per game, which they did not do last year? That, I think, is more doable. Um, I'd have to look at what the 07 Patriots average. So, But anyway, the Bengals last year averaged 26.1. And if you bump that up to 28.1, that's tied with the Eagles for the third most in the league. And like I said, the Chiefs led the league. It was at 29.2. So I think 30 is a little unattainable. It's just not that it's impossible because, you know, one point away, what's the difference? But I think that's a very, very high goal. Like that would be saying, do you think it's the same as asking, do you think the Bengals averaged more points than any team last year? And then that answer, I feel like, turns into a very big, like, well, maybe. Probably not, <laughs> but can they average 30 points a game? Yeah, I've seen them score 30 plus. I do feel like they left a lot of points off the board. Yeah, sure. I mean, every team can say that. That's yeah. such a cliche football thing to say. You left, you left, a, you left a, a touchdown off the board. You know, they had to kick their field goal and said, left an extra point off the board. That's for sure. Um, but, um, but uh, you know, plenty more offensive line questions. There's one more I do want to get to on our next segment. We're going to get to it. It is Orlando Brown related. And then we're going to move on to your other questions when it comes to the mailbag. Thank you so much, everyone, for sending those. Again, follow along, Bengals underscore Sands. You can follow me at LNDS Patterson. And we'll have more from the doubleheader mailbag on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati next. is It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati with Lindsey Patterson and Mike Santagata. We are back on It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati. One more offensive line question, not for the offseason, because I'm sure we will talk plenty of O-line getting into training camp. Darian says, what is the biggest difference for Orlando playing with Joe over Patrick? The negatives and the positives. Um... Burrow take Burrow will use shorter drops and he won't be I'm not gonna say Patrick Mahomes is loose with I'm not a quarterback expert either so uh, this is very general stuff but I will say he's loose but I think Patrick Mahomes is more likely to drift backwards 
and trust his arm because he has that arm, right? He can he can fall back to and this was more a thing he did early in his career, but he still he still did it a little bit uh, last year. It's hard to break these habits completely. Drop back and no drop back calls for you to be at what fifteen yards, but he'll drop back the fifteen yards and still throw at fifty because he's Patrick Mahomes. Burrow can't do that. So he drops back to like a precisely 11 and he'll step up to precisely seven or wherever. And he, he tries to keep himself as long as the interior does. Okay. He tries to keep himself in the middle of the pocket, high in the pocket. So I think that's one difference. Um, on the other side, <sighs> I know Burrow's a, a tiny bit faster time to throw than Mahomes. I think when it comes to the positives with Mahomes, he can, as as good as Burrow has been at some of that backyard football stuff, I, I don't think there's somebody better in the league than Mahomes. So he can kind of run around, scramble, and uncork that ball unlike anybody else in the league. So that would be the other side is, and I wasn't saying Mahomes is bad at dropping too far in the pocket. It's just something that happens once in a while with him or bro. I don't see that as much and the time to throw, but the other flip side is just when, you know, when Mahomes wants to run around and play backyard football, he's the best in the league. And while Burrow can do that a bit, um, I don't think that's the main positive of his game. I think it is a positive. He does do it to, good effect but i think mahomes is just better at it yeah we'll see what that looks like on the offensive line with orlando brown but um i'm I'm really excited for him to start a left tackle and kind of just seeing that difference with patrick mahomes and joe burrow when it comes to him and on the line jr Hude says who gets extended first higgins wilson or joe probably burrow but i don't think it's necessary necessarily burrow I think probably, but not 100%. You know, that, that's my thought on it. What do you think? I do think it's Joe. I think it's Joe. I still am very optimistic that he, Higgins gets done before the season. Everything just seems to be – look, I'm not trying to jinx anything, but it's pretty quiet, and I feel like quiet is good news when it comes to T. Higgins' agent. So I'm just going to say <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Maybe they're talking. Maybe they're like, hey, let's get the Joe Joe Burrow contract done, and then we're, we're going to talk. I don't – I could be wrong about this. I don't think they're waiting for Justin Herbert's contract, but I could be wrong. Do you think that has any effect in the timeline of this? Maybe a little. Not a ton, though. I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's, it's – I think that Burrow could be waiting. And just mm-hmm. seeing, like, I want more than Herbert because I'm better than Herbert is basically yeah. what he's probably coming down to. But I don't think I don't think that's we don't know. That's really it. We don't know. But we don't, uh, we don't know anything. I mean, <laughs> yeah, we don't know anything. Like that could be a talking point, and that is a talking point for some guys at some positions. Because look, I'm sure Mahomes would probably be like kind of. Not saying he wishes he took a smaller deal, but just a, a shorter deal. But I'm sure he looks at that and he goes like, oh, Jalen Hurts makes more than me. I just beat him in the Super Bowl. Uh, so that, that probably goes through everybody's mind. Um, so that could be a thing. It could also not. Uh, we don't know. I, I think there's a chance that it's playing into this. But I wouldn't say that they need to wait for 
Herbert because if Herbert gets more money, it's a travesty. I think that the deal's the deal. If it gets done, hopefully it gets done soon. Yeah, I 100% agree with you when it comes to that. I think more than anything, um, you know, maybe you just wait wait and see before training camp. If the Herbert deal gets done, you're like, okay, we can kind of base it off that number. I personally think that the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes will um, – they'll 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 add some 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 dollar signs to his deal, um, maybe before the season starts after Joe Burrow signs his extension because it is a steal. It's an absolute steal for Patrick Mahomes when it comes to the other quarterback contracts and what we're seeing out there. But we'll see. I still I still very, feel very confident that Joe gets done during training camp, maybe the first or second week of it. But we will know. I feel like soon uh, when it comes to Higgins and Wilson. I'm just not sure. I will say this about Higgins and Joe personally. Um, because I keep hearing, well, what if they make the announcement of T. Higgins and Joe Burrow together in a press conference? I don't see that happening. I think, too, both of them would have separate days uh, when it comes to their contract extensions. I just don't see that. You know, I don't see it being a, hey, let's announce both of them on the same day. They're both at the table signed in their extension. You're going to make your franchise quarterbacks by himself, and then you're also going to make T. Higgins a, a, a big uh, deal on a contract extension too. So, I think that's what we'll see. But I don't. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if both happen this offseason. James Bates says, with the possible departure of Tyler Boyd next season, will we see more of Charlie Jones and a decline in Boyd's reps? Not to me. I wouldn't because you're you're comp- you're a competing team. If this team was. 5 and 12 last year, sure. It, but they've gone to back-to-back AFC Championship games. So, I'm going to let the best player play the most of the snaps. And maybe because you feel very good about Charlie Jones, you let Boyd take more rest. That that I guess would be why that could happen. But to me, if it's me, no. No. Not a chance. I I mean, maybe a little bit, but not I'm not seriously considering like some type of 60-40 like it's a running back committee type thing. I'm, I'm going to let Tyler Boyd play as many snaps as he wants to play, as he can play, because he is the best slot receiver on the team, and Charlie Jones can pick up whatever else. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that'll impact uh, Tyler Boyd at all, and I, I, I do look forward to see what you know what we see from the rookies when it comes to wide receivers. But I think it's going to be more of a special teams. Um, thing in 2023 we'll see though Soli says which of the rookies do you feel like will make the most impact this year um the cheat answer is brad robbins right because he's the only one that starts that's true (laughs) obviously when you think about it as a whole it's probably going to be that i hope it is i hope well actually i hope brad doesn't have to punt at all but if he does i hope it's it's amazing and so far we we were talking about mandatory minicamp storylines i would say his he was kind of a highlight of mandatory camp. Yeah, the mustache, the punting, everything. So even if he, hey, even if he's not punting, he's holding for extra points and holding for field goals. Uh, and maybe no, Evan McPherson could be the guy who kicks off. He's got he's got that boom leg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's got a different leg. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think that. Uh, if I have to actually pick a guy that's not Brad Robbins, I don't think Battle wins the starting job. I think Murphy plays more snaps than him. I think Turner only gets in there through an injury. I think Jones only gets in there through an injury, but he's going to be a punt returner too, probably. So that could be an effect. I, uh, 
maybe Miles Murphy. I think they have a plan for him. I think they're going to let him play quite a few snaps. I think rather than Boyd missing any snaps, it'll be Hendrickson Hubbard just because they play too many snaps already for their size, for their position. When you look at like the snaps, leaders, snaps per game, they're going to be way up there. <laughs> and you probably want to cut that down a little bit because Hendrickson, before he got to Cincinnati, was always more of a rotational guy. Even when he started for the Saints and got 12 sacks or whatever, uh, he was – still rotation rotating in because they had such a deep unit. And I think the Bengals kind of want that. They want that deep unit that they can rotate around like that. So I'll go with Murphy as a real answer, but I'm going to go with Brad Robbins as the cheating. This guy's going to start. He's going to be a starter in two positions. I want to go back to miles Murphy. Um, I agree with you. I feel like a successful year for miles Murphy in his rookie year would be, I'll say three and a half sacks. If you, if you were to able to get four, that would be huge. But the biggest thing is, is giving Trey Hendrickson and Sam mm-hmm. Hubbard a break. And we're going to see that rotation with John with um, Joseph aside too. what, what his impact is going to be this year. Um, it really felt like last year was his first whole season, but um, overall with miles Murphy, if you remember, and this doesn't have to do with Miles Murphy, you know, going into 2023, but Trey Hendrickson, when it comes to rest, one picture that kind of stands out for me is in the AFC championship game, the one the Bengals beat the Chiefs. If you remember, Jamar Chase was on the sideline and he was in tears. He was so excited. And Trey Hendrickson was just on the sideline and he was just breathing on the bench, taking deep breaths in and out. And cause you could tell, I mean, he was playing so hard in that game and he wasn't getting that rest. And he just was like, okay. Day one, we're good now. I can breathe. Um, but I think that's important, especially health wise. Um, you know, keeping those guys obviously, they're going to be a huge part of the rotation, they're going to be the starters. But allowing that from your rookie, Miles Murphy, I think is going to be really, really cool to see. And you know, if you go back to draft night, a lot of people were really surprised Miles Murphy was available. Mm-hmm. And if the Bengals didn't take him, he was probably going to go to the Kansas City Chiefs, to be completely <laughs> honest with you. So um, just overall, I, I'm really excited to see the impact he makes, but I think that's a pretty easy pick right now to say the punter uh, and Brad Robbins would probably be the most impact, impactful rookie, but we'll see what that looks like uh, at the end of the season. Brian says, what are the main things you're keeping an eye or interested in for training camp? Probably the right tackle battle, the safety battle. Those are the only position battles I can think of right now off the top of my head. I want to see how often they use Miles Murphy. Cam Sample, we don't even think about him anymore, but he was stealing some stats and played pretty well last year. Joseph Osai, um, I guess those. Oh, another battle would be third down running back, uh, Travion Williams or Chase Brown, who can win that job. So those are all the things I'd look for and some stuff that we're taking for granted, but still needs to happen. Brad Robbins versus Drew Christman. And we're thinking it's Robbins, but we got to make sure it happens. And Charlie Jones versus Trent Taylor. We think it's going to be Charlie Jones, but let's see him beat out Trent Taylor. So those are all the things I'm looking for. Anything I miss that you're looking for? Um, I mean, honestly, it's going to be mostly, we've seen enough, talked enough about the rookies. I would just say it's going to be Jonah Williams for me. Um, I think that's just going to be the storyline and, and what that really looks like. Do we get a lot out of training camp? Kind of. I mean, they're not going full go or 100 percent or anything like that. Um, and I think it kind of connects with training camp, too, when it comes to the preseason. Do they get the reps? Will we see that with the offensive line? Because it's going to be new for Jonah Williams. And maybe Jonah Williams is the guy that's getting those preseason reps. Um, you could say the same thing about Orlando Brown. Nothing too crazy. And, and it could be the first game or, or the second game, the third game they normally 
like to rest everybody. And it's pretty much the backups are guys fighting for a roster spot. So I think we'll really get a feel for if those starters get get any, you know, preseason time, it'll be in that first game um, and, and possibly the second game. So, yeah, for me, I feel like it's a softball answer, but easy answer. And I would have to go with um, it being Jonah Williams. Softball answer for a reason. Softball answer for a reason. I'm just going with it. And uh, we've talked plenty of offensive lines, so I'll continue that. Uh, no, we'll go Hude Dre. He says, which is a better ind- indicator for this upcoming season success? The offense dominating and training camp, the defense dominates. Neither show dominance, but a few good days for either side. Neither. That, that would be, I guess, what I would say. I have worries either way. I, never take it too far, though, because I remember all of the takes that came out of the offense is struggling in 20, was that 2021? Yeah, 2021. The offense is struggling. And people are saying, like, oh, they're going to suck this year. They, you know, they've got, you know, Awuzie has Jamar Chase uh, clamped up and all this other stuff. It's like, well, the defense ended up being pretty good and it didn't matter because the offense was also good. So I don't take too much from it, but I would hope neither both have their days. Yeah. Well, I would say what was telling over the last two years. It's so funny. If, do you remember the storyline? What was the big storyline in 2021 of training camp? The year they went to the Super Bowl? No offensive line. No, no. Oh, 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 from 2021. Yeah. It was 2021 in training camp. What do you think? What was the big storyline? There was two. Yeah, there's Burrow's knee, right? Mm-hmm. And but there's more, to, there's more to Burrow. There's more to Burrow? Okay, mm-hmm. you just let me know. Maybe I've forgotten. Remember people thought, they're like, oh, Joe's a little off. Joe's not looking. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's what I kind of put that in with the knee thing. I was like, yeah, yeah he looks off. That was a good connection. That was a good connection. And then uh, Jamar Chase couldn't catch footballs. Yeah, Jamar Chase couldn't catch football. Oh, my goodness. Oh, geez. Oh, the white, the white parts of the football, <laughs> it's harder to see or something. I remember, I mean, he dropped – in preseason, I, this is why I don't he, think of in training camp. Like he dropped them all in training camp too. I don't know how this happened, uh, but in the preseason, he got I think four targets and he dropped three of them. It was like, I, oh my I, goodness! I'm convinced he was messing with everyone. <laughs> it was he was hustling. He was hustling the league for week I, one. I, to this day, I'm convinced because he had a, he was rookie of the year. I know um, he, was, he was pretending to play bad at pool and then said, "All right, hundred dollars, I better beat you." <laughs> he's a funny guy. He isn't afraid of a little. I mean, oh goodness, everybody. If you if you've been on Twitter over the last couple of days when he said Pat Hill, um, yeah, and I no, think he's I'm, joking a little. Bit. Obviously, he loves his quarterback. He already said he feels like he's the best player in the NFL um, on an NFL piece. And I just I didn't really think too much of it. I thought you know Jamar's just having fun and he believes mm-hmm. in his quarterback. So there's nothing wrong with that. That that shouldn't be a storyline that Jamar Chase believes his quarterback is the best in the league. What would be the oh man? We're done. But what would be the lowest quarterback that the wide receiver should say that for? Because I feel like Mike Williams should probably say that about Herbert. Um, but when does it get ridiculous? Would it be? <laughs> Uh, the, Zach Justin, Wilson, the Zach Wilson. Well, that's too far low. You know, like if yeah. Justin Jefferson says it about Kirk Cousins, you're probably going like, do you believe that? Yeah. Tyreek Hill talking Tyree about, Kill about Tua. He does it though. He does. He said it about last year, right when he joined the team. Although he, he always says like Tua's the most accurate quarterback I've ever played for or something. And then he's like, but you know, Mahomes is blah, blah, blah. Because he played with Mahomes too. So he can't be too, uh, can't talk too bad about Mahomes. 
Yeah, no, that's where that's that's so funny to think about. But yeah, I didn't really think it was much of a storyline. I think Jamar Chase, uh, you know, he believes in his quarterback. So, you know, he, he's not afraid to say anything. That's for sure. And I'm OK with that because it gives us something to talk about. Uh, but yeah, those storylines from 2021 uh, were, were really funny. But yeah, I would say this to, to answer his question when it comes to offense dominating or defense. The defense actually was dominant last year and the the previous season um and that's why the concerns about offense were were brought up so i would say i i don't think it would make me feel a certain way if i hear defense mm-hmm. is looking really good in training camp i'd be like yeah they should be um you know they're pretty good and if i hear the offense is is looking really uh well-rounded the line is really um you know with the jonah williams at right tackle everything i i wouldn't think i wouldn't think too much of it you know, I'll wait until they get into the games. But personally, the defense has kind of been the storyline over the last two training camps. Thank you guys. As always, we did not get to all of your questions. I really appreciate you guys sending those over on Twitter. Bengals underscore Sands. You can follow me at LNDS Patterson. We are going to be getting through the time, the dead period of the offseason where no camp, nothing, unless there's an extension um, until July 26th. So we're going to come up with some guests and and uh, we'll probably have uh, several mailbag days and appreciate you guys sending those questions. And we're really excited to talk about real football that will be here soon. And as always, make sure you're checking out Mike's work over on All Bengals. Taking a little bit of a break, but there are plenty of articles to go check out if you haven't had a chance to go do that. You can follow him on Twitter. Really great clips, recaps, Bengals underscore Sands. And thank you for listening to It's Always Game Day in Cincinnati.